my first guest today, Bob Doth, the Connecticut Senate Majority Leader who represents the 25th District, which is Norwalk and Darien. Bob, welcome back. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Always, always a pleasure. Uh, You and I haven't talked in uh, about a month and a half, which is uh, about as long as I've gone uh, in the last year or so without speaking to you. You guys had a a lot of great stuff going on this session. Um, I know you're very proud of uh, this piece of legislation that passed through the Senate uh, that would would, uh, uh, concerning online privacy, data and safety protection, social media as well, uh, again, with the idea that you got to keep the kids safe here. Yeah, absolutely. One of our uh, Senate priority bills was uh, for more privacy protections. And don't forget, and I mentioned this on on the show before, that uh, Connecticut uh, was one of the first states in the nation to actually have a a data privacy law, which is really, really important. And it it wasn't just any data privacy law, because we could have had a law the year before, but it would have been basically a law in name only. <clears throat> and so last year we passed Senate Bill 6, one of our Senate Democratic Party bills, that um, made Connecticut uh, probably one of the toughest states in the nation on, on privacy, on data privacy, uh, and really proud of that, and so much so that I've read articles around the country that many state legislatures are following our lead um, in data privacy. Oh wow! It's a it's a workable law. It's a it's a good law, uh, and it's one that um, you know can can it, it's it can bring folks together. And, you know the the thing of the industry doesn't like is they don't want a patchwork of fifty different state laws, <clears throat> and that's that's not our fault. That's the fault of Congress for not actually getting anything done on this issue. Um, but now that there's this template out there, because you know there was the first template was California, but I think a lot of folks saw that that is not as workable uh, as they might have thought. Uh, but Connecticut was, and now they're using ours in Colorado's as kind of a blueprint for how to move forward on this. The hard work's done. We we did the hard work, and now they just got to copy and paste. Very cool. Um, yeah. So anyway, let me, can I just finish that yeah, talk? Because that was a long answer. Yeah. I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, but this year, this year um, we did another. We did a, a bill to um, expand on that, and uh, we worked to. Uh, reduce online harassment and, and strengthen even more privacy protections, especially uh, for children and especially for women and their health care. Um, and I think that that's, again, groundbreaking uh, work that will be probably copied around the country. And and as well, it should be, you know, Bob, it, it I, I've had so many conversations since last November with all sorts of Republicans, um, particularly, you know, we're seeing it all over the country, uh, both North and South Carolina, both uh, pushing uh, 12-week abortion limits, bans after 12 weeks. I, it's as if they didn't learn from the last election that that's, that's not going to work out for them. That's a terrible idea, and we're seeing it in, in multiple places around the country, all red states once again. Yeah, it's it's really um, mind-boggling to think that these states are doing these really very restrictive uh, abortion laws, and they don't think that they're going to pay any consequences for it. Uh, not only is it bad policy and does it harm women, and we're seeing women uh, all over the place uh, have major consequences because of these draconian laws uh, that are mostly voted on by men, um, but, uh, you know, they are... Um, you know, really harming uh, women or harming uh, anybody who is raped, anybody who might be a victim of incest. Um, and so it's just, 
awful. And the fact of the matter is, is that uh, polls suggest that uh, even Republicans uh, want to have some sort of choice. Now, they may vary a little differently than where I am on the spectrum, but I don't think anybody thinks that somebody who was raped or a victim of incest should be carrying a baby, nor do um, you know, people think that uh, there should uh, somebody can only, you know, can't get an abortion after so many weeks. So these kind of laws that we're seeing around the country are just extreme, uh, and they really do border on almost fascism uh, because of the fact that <clears throat> it's really government overreach. I mean, you've got a party who spouts freedom all the time, uh, and I'm not sure freedom from what, because all they're doing is, is telling people what they can't do right. uh, and what they can't say. So it's really, you know, they talk freedom, but the, the reality is the exact opposite. Yeah, the other thing, too, uh, in addition to obviously the abortion fight, they're still uh, still pretty hot on this culture war, particularly with the, the transgendered people. Since last we talked, there was that whole blow up with Bud Light, uh, people losing their mind, Bob, over a transgender spokesperson, only to find out that all of these beers that these people have been drinking have been hosting and supporting Pride for years Upon years, it's only just now, they've only just now become aware of it and suddenly, uh, again, very angry. Election time, I don't think that stuff's going to work. No, I mean, the thing is is that, again, they have a poll out there that suggests that uh, people are not offended by whatever they call woke. um, And that this is really, again, you have the loudest voices of a very small minority of people who shout a lot, and therefore they think that this is like 60, 70, 80 percent of the people, when it's really not. We live in a very diverse country. And maybe not all parts of the country are diverse, but our country is very diverse. And people just want to be respected. They want to be left alone. They just they want to be able to live their lives, love who they love. Uh, if somebody is struggling uh, sexually with, uh, you know, or, or questioning a little bit of who they are, uh, I don't know that... Um, you know, not allowing somebody to seek therapy or have a surgery or, you know, um, have get health care. Why all those things are off the table now? Because it's, I guess it's easier to set up a boogeyman so somebody can hate somebody. But again, like on transgender folks, you're talking about one half of 1% of the population doing all this work for such a small amount of people just so you can say that you did something that harms somebody else. If, you know, I hear the name Leah Thomas just about every day. I was literally just driving in here listening to uh, another conservative radio station. They were actually talking to uh, Riley Gaines, the swimmer who had competed against Leah Thomas. And who, by the way, she beat Leah Thomas in a couple of meets, which, uh, you know, funny that nobody ever mentions that. uh, Or the fact that his time as a woman is 15 seconds slower than when he was a man. Did you know that? Uh, no, I did not know yeah. that. That's interesting information. Of course, that doesn't come out, right? No, of course it doesn't come out. And, like, I think that is, like, vitally important information. But Riley Gaines, literally, I just heard her, like, 15 minutes ago, Bob, refer to transgender people as disgusting. Yeah, and I right. thought, well, geez, no wonder nobody wants to listen to what you have to say. I, I remind my Republican friends all the time, I'm like, I, I think it's the tone And the lack of respect with which you speak about transgendered people, that's causing this to be such a problem for you. Yeah, remember, this is the same rhetoric we saw with um, gay people, you know, 
a decade or two ago. Yeah. And it was that was that was the easy group to kind of beat up on and make fun of <clears throat> and to to cast as the boogeyman. And then all of a sudden when uh states started passing gay marriage laws and all of a sudden um the uh you know people were more accepting then they had to move off of that. So they had to now find who do you find now? You find People, you know, a lot of people may not know somebody who's transgender. Yeah. And so, it's again, it's easy to pick on somebody you don't know. But it really comes down to bullying. And it's really not. It's the exact opposite of leadership. You know, I think leadership means standing up for the people who don't have the voice and not picking on people and, and beating them down. I mean, frankly, there's, there's, you know, I've heard stories from around the country where, you know, transgender teens especially are ending up in the hospital or committing suicide because of these bills or, you know, and they see they see a society or a country or a state that says we don't like you, you know, and we mm-hmm. don't approve of you. Um, and you know, there's nothing more harmful we can do. That's not that's not what America is. Yeah, Riley Gaines was just suggesting that folks like yourself, legislators, are succumbing to the woke mob. Yeah. Um, that that whatever those folks want, that's what you guys are doing. As if Bob, they're not constituents. Uh, I mean, yes. If, if, if there's a, a section of our population that's particularly vulnerable, and I think you'd agree those folks right now qualify, mm-hmm. uh, having some extra protections and getting a little extra attention, necessary. That's your job, right, as their rep to make sure that everyone out there feels safe. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And that's part of the issue is that trying to, you know, trying to create a safe and loving environment. And, you know, frankly, you know, a lot of, a lot of the uh, – uh, rooting for failure club, as I like to call them, who talk, uh, you know, always talk negative about Connecticut and say, you know, people moving to Florida. Um, there's a lot of people. There's people now from Texas and Florida and some other states that are coming up to Connecticut because they recognize the fact that we're a state that um, that embraces people rather than puts them down. And I think that's that's very important. So I've gotten emails from folks who said they're moving to Connecticut. People who've said they're very scared to live where they are, they're scared for their kids, um, and they'd rather live in a place that they feel is safe. We're talking to Bob Duff, Connecticut's Senate Majority Leader, representing the 25th District. Bob, as always, appreciate you joining us. Now, it's always my pleasure. Earlier this week, Bob, I was reading about the fact that Connecticut's pensions are performing poorly despite the money that uh, Ned Lamont pulled in. So there's some work to be done there, but that said... Some more good news, because our finances are in the shape that they're in and because of the great work of the legislature and of of Ned Lamont, our credit rating as a state has uh, been boosted up. Yeah, happy happy to hear that. Uh, We're double A plus now with Kroll, uh, which is uh, one step below triple A. That's excellent news. And so, you know, we've we've worked really hard over over a decade now to get us back into that position. Uh, Generally, a lot of the other rating agencies will uh, follow suit and do the same thing. Um, But you know, paying down the long-term pension debt. Uh, it's been has been excellent. You know, the stock market's slid for a while, so yep. some of the returns that we would expect weren't there. Uh, ask ask a lot of people who work on Wall Street, and they'll tell you that, or have uh, 401ks. Uh, they'll tell you the same thing. I mean, things swing up and down. I think the uh, most important thing is that we uh, reestablished the guard, fiscal guardrails that we we wanted, uh, which is to, um, or we had from the bipartisan budget, which is the volatility cap and the um, 
uh, making sure that any additional funds out of the out of the rainy day fund went to pay down pension debt, which has actually given us about five hundred million dollars more breathing room in our operating budget. So it's uh, it's been really good news and helped us to uh, not have to make some of the draconian decisions we had to make uh, six, seven, eight years ago now. And now, as far as the budget is concerned, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk, and we've discussed this before, this idea of a middle-class tax cut. How likely do you think that is at this point? Uh, the middle-class tax cut? I, I'm, I'm very confident about that. All right, good. That's what yeah, I like so to I hear. I think this budget, this budget, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't forget we had $600 million of tax cuts uh, in last year's budget. Uh, this year we're going to have income tax cuts uh, that uh, have been proposed and, and negotiated uh we'll let the you know we don't want to make too many announcements beforehand but um you know the governor has felt very strongly about that as so have uh, many other legislators as well uh, we'll have additional funds for our our towns like in education and uh, our nonprofits and other places um so <clears throat> while you know not everybody's gonna be happy with everything that they got or didn't get i think on balance it's uh it's a good budget it'll be a good budget All right. Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, obviously, you and I are both real estate men here. Um, Governor Mott was talking to the the Connecticut Realtors Association earlier in the week. Uh, He wants to build a lot of housing. He thinks that's the quickest way to get this. You know, Bob, I think sort of part of the problem is people don't aren't really leaving the state. So, uh, you know, as far as housing is concerned, right, uh, the more people that are moving in and the less people that are moving out, the less likely we are to, to have housing. Do you think we need to invest uh, heavily, though, into, into building more? Oh, absolutely. You've got to, uh, we've got to change the denominator and grow the denominator of, of housing. We've got to have more, more housing in the whole state of Connecticut. I mean, frankly, you know, if, if you travel outside of Connecticut and land at any airport and go into a community, you'll see cranes all over the place. We don't see that here in the state of Connecticut. Um, we need to have housing. Uh, it's, it's vital to the growth of our state. We can't be afraid of it, <clears throat> nor can we be afraid of, of height. Um, so we've got to build it not just in our cities, but we've got to build housing uh, in our, on our suburbs as well. Uh, especially along the train lines, you know, in, in Metro North or along Hartford New Haven line, along uh, I-84 corridor, you know, all those are really, really important for us. So, um, building housing, you know, it, it it needs to we want it to fit into the community, and that's fine. Um, but we've got to build housing. It's um, it's it's something that's a not it's non-negotiable. And last thing, uh, you know, look, inflation's been about halved since last year. Gas prices are down. Grocery prices are down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys obviously are talking about pushing this middle tax, uh, middle class tax cut. And again, I point out, it's not like you guys were running on the idea it was going to happen. This right. was you won the election. You guys sort of took a look at things and like, hey, if we could do this, let's do it. I think that is an excellent way to govern. Well, right. I mean, that's the whole thing. You want to look at your, you want to look at the numbers, and it's been supported still by uh, our April fifteenth revenue numbers. Uh, we know our estimates and finals are down, um, and that, that's the, um, you know, it's a lot of some of the Wall Street money, but it's still, it's still a good number. But that money goes into the volatility gap anyway. Our um, withholding and our sales tax is still very strong, and this, this is an opportunity to give people some real, uh, real relief. It's also probably going to be 
you know, there's also the earned income tax credit, which is great for uh, those who work and uh, don't make a lot of money, but it provides a benefit to them, and they put that money right back into the economy. Um, and, you know, there's other ways. And, and bringing back money to our communities is extremely important because that helps reduce property taxes. And if you ask people's biggest burdens, they'll say it's the property tax. And so whatever we can do to help keep property taxes down, the better. Could not agree more. Bob Dove, Connecticut Senate Majority Leader representing the 25th District of Norwalk and Darien. Bob, I always appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Joe. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too, buddy. Take care. My next guest is in his 32nd year as an English teacher and his 18th year as assistant football coach at Haddam Killingworth High School, where he teaches courses in journalism, media literacy, and AP English language and composition. You can check out Barth Keck. Uh, on Twitter at KeckB33. Barth, always love talking to you, my man. How are you? I love talking to you too, Joe. I'm, I'm well, thank you. Good. We're going to get to your Baltimore Orioles before all is said and done because uh, <laughs> okay, good. You, you deserve that. I want to start off with uh, your latest op-ed, Has Artificial Intelligence Escaped Pandora's Box? Uh, in, in this, you write the Connecticut Senate approved legislation last week. Get this, everybody. <laughs> To scrutinize the use of algorithms and artificial intelligence by Connecticut state government to ensure automated systems are not permitted to make discriminatory decisions. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? Well, what's going on is we've got all kinds of artificial intelligence out there that's, that's being used, you know, for efficiency purposes. Um, but unfortunately, the AI is only as good as the data set that that it includes. And a lot of the data that's out there based on previous information and previous decisions tends to be discriminatory. So when it comes to decisions like, um, you know, who might get accepted into, say, um, uh, a magnet school or things like that, or when it comes to decisions regarding healthcare, uh, sometimes it gets a, a little bit biased uh, because the, the human element is gone. And so, yeah, we're seeing um, some. That's this is the tip of the iceberg. I, I mean, with the, this kind of investigation of AI and what the potential bad outcomes are, is really beginning to to grow from the local all the way to the national level. You also posted on Twitter an article from the Atlantic that said, "Never give AI the new code." I didn't even read the article, Barth, but I've seen Terminator. Right, like bad idea. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that, that's, that's the ultimate, you know, I, most people will tell you that, you know, you see Terminator, it's not, these are not sentient beings. AI is not living and breathing in as much as, you know, Kevin Ruse now wrote his, you know, infamous article in the New York times where he actually had a conversation with Microsoft's uh, chatbot, which it named Sydney and Sydney, this chatbot, artificial intelligence claimed its love for him told him that he didn't really love his wife. He really loved the chatbot. Oh, wow. It got pretty, it got pretty creepy. Um, <laughs> and so it seems sentient. It seems like it's living and breathing, but, but it's not. So the whole the, the nightmare scenario of the, um, you know, the nuclear bomb codes, that's, that's the ultimate uh, scare. But I, I think that really what, you know, what I found and what I've been reading is that it's, it's really on the day-to-day -day level that we have to be a little bit more concerned right now when it comes to things like the discriminatory decisions that AI might be using. I mean, one of the, one of the most basic ways that it discriminates is it's already been found that facial recognition tech, um, technology 
it's best, it's most accurate when it comes to white males, and it's least accurate when it comes to people of color. Hmm. Um, so, you know, the, it might it might misrecognize people, um, and and that could cause problems. So, and I would assume that a white guy probably designed that uh, software, which is again sort of like you know Barth. I remember, man, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago, I think's the first time I saw a Band-Aid for black people where the the outside of the Band-Aid was darker. And I remember thinking to myself, why do we need that? And my wife said, when you wear a Band-Aid, right, you just want it to, like, fit in, it just uh, not to stand out. Like, that's just a, a, a small courtesy that anybody would enjoy, right? Just the idea of, like, trying to cover up a blemish. Something as simple as that, um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, I do. I mean, yeah. that actually goes back even further to, like, Crayola crayons. When they used to have the color, I think it was called flesh, and it was, you right. know, the, the typical color of, you know, like a, a white person. And they, they got rid of that for that very reason. Yeah, uh, and again, you know, I, I, I see sometimes people get a little anxious or they get a little upset when they when they hear the discrimination uh, not not because uh, they they feel bad, but uh, I think it's almost um, as long as it's not them. I, I think a lot of white people feel that way. That that um, you know a little minor what discriminatory practices isn't that is that really going to hurt anybody? Right, <laughs> until it comes to the point of making millions and millions of decisions that are going to yeah. affect people's lives. Yep. So yeah, that's that's when it becomes problematic. All right. Uh, you're apparently not a big podcast guy, huh? I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm admittedly not a podcast guy. It's, and, and I like talk radio, obviously. Yeah. You <laughs> love talk it's, it's, radio, and you've been on my podcast like a hundred times. Uh, yeah, so right. it's it's much like me. I don't really listen to podcasts either. I just make them. That yeah. said, you, you've you recently uh, come across maybe a little bit more uh, of the podcast. Really, you're starting to, to pay a little more attention to it. Because, much like this media literacy stuff you and I are always talking about, uh, these podcasts are a great, great source of misinformation. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, that, that, you know, <laughs> I admittedly, am, I, I wrote in my op-ed, I'm admittedly someone who likes to read the written word. That's, you know, as a teacher, we know that people have different learning styles. Some people are visual learners. Some people are auditory learners. And when it comes to podcasts, they are very popular with a lot of people because um, not only uh, is it people that are auditory learners and like to listen, it's something you can listen to as you're doing something else, mm-hmm. whether it's you know, as simple as driving the car or you know, you're doing chores around the house or whatever. And so they've become very popular. But the problem is that they – one of the reasons they're popular is that they are very oftentimes informal. They're very conversational, and it's, it just seems like you're, you know, you're listening in on a conversation that you might be having with a friend or with a bunch of people that are out you know, enjoying drinks or a cup of coffee. And so it, it, it's ingratiating. You know, the people really enjoy that. The, the downside to that is you start to – well, you, you get confirmation bias. Yep, uh, and so you you start to identify with a certain podcast host, and it's like, and when this person says things, it has more gravitas for you. So, 
that could be a problem depending on who that podcaster is, depending on where that podcaster gets his information. Sure. You know, look, there's one particular guy. He gets talked about a lot. He's got one of the most popular podcasts on the planet in in Joe Rogan, who by most accounts, you know, uh, Barth, I I did a a piece on him about three months ago and I was going to I was going to destroy that guy in this bit I was preparing. And the more research I did, uh, the more I realized Joe Rogan actually does a really good job of pushing back on guests, people who were talking about alternate COVID treatments. You could argue he's giving them the platform and maybe that's wrong, but he generally pushes back when they start talking, you know, uncertainties. And it's like, oh, that's not that's not a thing. Um, So what do you think about that, about about having somebody on a program to share a controversial view I think as long as you're pushing back and letting people know, like, look, this guy's saying stuff, it doesn't mean it's all true. Yeah, I, I, I give Joe credit. He does include a panoply of people, a variety of, of voices. I think sometimes you get into this uh, issue of false equivalence or false balance yep. where, okay, here here's an anti-COVID guy, an anti-COVID vaccine guy. Now let's talk to the pro vote, you know, and so it's it's – it makes it seem like it's a 50-50 proposition where, OK, I'm going to push back on this guy. But you, you hear from both sides equal time. But when you look at the facts, the the one side has a preponderance of evidence that, you know, goes against the other. And even as he fact checks the, the person or, you know, he calls into question a person that might seem a little bit questionable, it's still by giving him that audience like of equal time. Yep. You know, equal time doesn't always mean, um, you know, factual. It doesn't always mean bad. I mean, it, it's actually can be imbalance because you're giving more time to somebody who doesn't deserve as much time. I don't know if that makes sense, but mm-hmm. um, that's my major problem with that. Is he I mean, he's come out and he basically says, hey, listen, I'm just a talk show guy. I, I people can believe whatever they want to believe. And that's true. But if you're going to give pers- people that platform where you have millions of listeners, there does come a responsibility. So. You know, I quite honestly, I'm, I'm not a podcast listener, so podcast listener, so I shouldn't, you know, judge him too heavily. If he's fact fact checking people, that's great. Um, but you know, again, I think giving audience to certain people probably is maybe giving too much credit to begin with. On the line with our guest, Connecticut news junkie, op-ed writer and teacher Barth Keck. Barth, appreciate you being here. Pleasure being here. Thanks, Joe. Now, back in April, you and I did this five-part series on media literacy, along with uh, a bunch of the authors for the book, The Media and Me, A Guide to Critical Media Literacy for Young People. And as we stressed, it's it, it applies for older people as well. It's for anybody. But just real quick, kind of talk about, because this is a big part of what you do every day in teaching your students about media literacy. Uh, we've talked about this before, but just kind of lay it out there for people so they understand exactly what we're talking about. Well, we live in an environment of media that is um, as complex as it's ever been. Uh, and you know, w- with so much information out there, how do you make sense of it? And that's that's really the crux of media literacy. It's, you know, where where is this information coming from? How do I know what's true, what's not true? And um, with the especially with social media and we have algorithms talk about artificial intelligence where misinformation can just go wild. And I am going to be fed information that 
kind of goes into, you know, my wheelhouse. It's, you know, the algorithms are very friendly to whatever I've read before. And so I tend to get fed information that really I already believe and I'm not open to the other side. So the, the point of media literacy is to really make people aware of the variety of media, how to judge which media to trust and um, become responsible consumers uh, and and citizens because you know as in a representative democracy we require information that's factual and so that this is what the, the crux of the class is a variety of different approaches and units that I take but it really is becoming a responsible consumer of information all right last thing I'm going to ask you how do you make sense of the American League East so far this year your Baltimore Orioles second place three and a half games back they're four games ahead of the New York Yankees you you sort of saw this coming. They really had a great second half last year. How excited are you as an Orioles fan in Connecticut uh, to be enjoying this? <laughs> very. <laughs> I, uh, I'm very excited. Um, you know, I yeah, I guess we saw it coming, and obviously, it's we're still very early in the season. Anything can happen. It's a marathon, not a sprint. All that stuff. But having the second-best record in the major leagues is, yes, it's beyond exciting at this point. I will tell you, the American League East is really the American League beast. Mm -hmm. Every team – I didn't check the standings this morning, but I think every team in the American League East has a winning record. Yes. That's that's ridiculous. As a matter of fact, the last-place Red Sox, Barth, would be in first place in the American League Central. So there you go. Yeah. And, and I think the real test for the Orioles has been they've they've had this long stretch of uh, games where they've been playing teams that are over 500. They just split. You know, they went two and two against the Angels. They're up in Toronto this weekend. That's going to be a major test. So, um, you know, there's a long way to go. But I think essentially what we're seeing with the Orioles is a lot of the decisions, especially the draft picks that they made several years ago, are starting to pay dividends. So, you know, the the best example of that is Adley Rutschman. He yeah. was like, you know, considered one of the best prospects coming out of um, college, out of Oregon State. And he's since he's been with the Orioles, they've had a winning record. They were had a losing record when he came up, and they've yep. had a winning record since he's been up. And and he is, you know, he's the five tool player. He's a catcher. He can hit. He's a switch hitter. Um, and so th- that's that's kind of that's very exciting. That's what we're seeing. Um, just hope it can keep going. I've I've heard some MVP buzz around uh, Rauchman. Uh, th- I mean, they, right? This guy's been a difference maker. Uh, that, which yeah. again, you know, it's funny. The the very first jersey I ever bought my son was a Gary Sanchez jersey. That was the former Yankee catcher. For anybody who doesn't know, who um, yeah. was basically out of baseball until yesterday. The Mets are desperate at catching, and they've signed him to be their backup. But that was like my, uh, you know, the first jersey I gave my son, and the guy ended up being a bum, you yeah, know. Yeah. Like to have Rouchman, that's exciting. That is that is the dream for the for the time yeah. being, right? It absolutely is because I mean, not not I mean, in in terms of hitting, he's an excellent hitter. Um, as I think we've talked before, I, I personally know the co-hitting coach for the Orioles, Ryan Fuller. He was actually a teacher where I teach right next door to my classroom so and he's cool. been with it yeah it is very cool it, he's been with the team this is his second year and he actually worked with Adley when Adley was at the minor league level as well so you know he's the real deal at offensively but but 
even defensively catching, the pitchers will rave about him. I mean, he, he knows, you know, all the pitchers. And his, his signature move at the end of the game is when they win, he comes out and he hugs the pitchers. I mean, like a big old bear hug. Um, it's nice. just, it, you know, it's, it's very emotional. It's, you know, let's just hope it keeps going. Well, enjoy it while you can, Barth. I will. I will. (laughs) Always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. I thank you for joining us again today. Barth Keck from Connecticut News Junkie. Uh, make sure you you uh, go online, go to Connecticut News Junkie. You'll find the Barth Keck section. You can read all of his great articles. Barth, always appreciate the time and, and, and the laughs. I do too, Joe. Thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. You too, my man. Talk to you soon. Barth Keck, everybody. My guest this hour, Chris Caruso, former Bridgeport State rep. Chris, how you been? Very good, Giuseppe. How are you today? I am so good. You know, it's funny. Uh, earlier today, uh, knowing I was going to fill in for Paul, Paul sent me a message. Apparently, you're on every Friday. That's like yes. your thing. Uh-huh. I love that, that's Chris. It. That's it. Yeah, it was nice of Paul to include me. I thank him for that. Well, you know what it is, Chris? I, I think you're one of those people, and I think you and I tend to agree more than you and Paul do, but you're a very respectful guy. Whether you agree with things we're saying or not, you you have such great discourse, and I think that that's what makes you uh, such an appealing guest, perhaps in Paul's eyes. Oh, thank you. You know, I, it's the way I was raised. You know, I can disagree with the best of them, but at the end of the day, we're still human beings. We're still believe in our own issues and i think that's what makes this country great you know not to be um um, corny but that's really what makes the country great and there's got to be respect there's just too much disrespect today in the political arena and i think it just hurts everyone it really does so interestingly earlier today uh i took four calls in a row in the three o'clock hour three to three thirty and it was uh, i was talking about donald trump and I think you and I feel the same way about that guy. These <laughs> yeah. these folks all called in. The first guy was a little hot, yeah. and I I didn't push back on him, and he kind of calmed right down. And I thought each of the four calls, I let them make their points. I pushed back a little bit on some things I disagreed with, uh, but I think that's the right way to do it. You know, and again, I think there's, and we've talked about this, Chris, this obsession Mm -hmm. with, like, you don't have to defend Donald Trump, right? Right. He can take care of himself. He has put so many people who have supported him in bad spots that there's no reason for people to continue to defend that guy. No, and, and, you know, I've said before, and and I'm a, a Democrat, I've always been, you know, there were some good things Donald Trump did when he was president. I think... The biggest challenge for him, in Italian we call it cacchiarone, which means that he talked a lot. Yeah. And I think that was his problem. And he was extremely disrespectful to people. And uh, and as a result, I think created a great firestorm of people that disliked him. And, you know, people have a right to, to support him and believe in him. But at the same time, you know, I think they need to be civil. And I think others who disagree with Trump need to have that discussion with people as well. I I never shy from a discussion on politics and because uh, I think it's important. It's important to hear both sides of a story. And you know, in today's world where social media is throwing out things and people are just gullible, unfortunately, and latching on to all of this, um, there has to be the other side, the facts that kind of weigh things. And people need to hear that because at the end of the day, we're a free society. And the strength of this country, of this society, is if People are willing to work together and try to, you know, get through the differences. Um, 
I, I go to a, a local shop, for example, and the gentleman was very angry about um, Nancy Pelosi. And he got up and he, when, when the husband was hit, you know, beaten up in the house, he got up and he said, I'm glad, I'm glad he died. And uh, no, he said, I'm, I'm glad, you know, I, ho- I wish he died. This is what he said. And he was very angry and he's a Trump supporter. And I just looked at him and I said, you know, you've, you've raised better than that. And he just stopped and he looked at me. I said, regardless of your political beliefs, here's an 80-year-old man who was in his house minding his business. Someone broke in and almost killed the man. And, you know, all of us, whether Democrat, Republican, Independent, we've got to feel for that because that's a human being that could have died. He wasn't involved in the politics. And why should he be treated that way and, and almost dying? And so you've got to confront people. You know, when this gentleman did what he did, uh, I confronted him and said, you were raised better than that. And he stopped and he thought about it. And I think we need to do that because, as you've said, uh, Joe, at the end of the day, that civil uh, decorum, that civil um, discussion has to take place. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we're all human beings. We're trying to get through life as best we can. And, and you know, we have our successes. We have our challenges. But at the end of the day, we, we've got to be able to communicate with one another. Chris, I don't know what your experience has been like lately, but I've found lately – the last, say, two, three months talking to Trump supporters, I'm finding a great deal of them are sort of over it. You know, I still hear, I love the policies, as you just said, and I heard that a little bit earlier. Uh, I wish he would shut his mouth and not talk so much, stay off of Twitter. Um, But I think by and large, I think people are ready to move on to the next candidate. I think the Lord's uh, kind of gone away. I I think you're right. I think... It's like anything else. You know, the, the one thing about the voter that I've learned over my years, it's, it's a very short attention span. So what ends up happening is an issue is very hot and heavy and everyone's excited, but then it starts to fade. And, and I think it's the same thing with political personalities. You know, you, you love someone, you, you think they're great, but then there's that old saying, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, I think that I think that's what's happening to Trump is that his demeanor is um you know, sometimes just disrespectful, frankly, bordering on disgust and vile, um, it just turns people off. You can only take so much of that. And the, and the truth be told, his followers are, are a lot of them are very good, decent people. Yeah. You know, they, they they're Americans. They love this country. They love what it offers. And sometimes the the abuse of words he uses and the attacks he does just turns people off because. You know, they were raised better. They're good people, and, and they don't want to be associated with that. And, and in the end of the day, you know, it's easy to get up and criticize. That I, I've learned that in life. It's real easy to do that stuff. It's harder to get up and have a solution or to suggest something because when you do that, you put yourself out a little bit, and, and people aren't willing to do that. They don't have the courage to do it. And, and I found that with elected officials that the ones who just get up and constantly complain and offer nothing in return are usually – short-lived you know they, mm-hmm. they don't go on too long and people people begin to see that and i think that's true it's it's okay to be a maverick it's okay to disagree it's okay to you know kind of walk to your own drumbeat but at the same time you've got to produce for people because at the end of the day that's what elections are about it's about the future you know what do you hope to achieve to make people's lives better that, that's really what it's all about you know it's funny when he before donald trump got into politics i i really enjoyed uh, the Apprentice. Um, yeah. I've been aware of Donald Trump my just about my entire life since I was a kid, yeah. reading about him in yeah. uh, you know page five in the Post or whatever. Mm. I think a lot of people were charmed by Donald Trump, 
I think a lot of people liked the idea that there was a person that was going to speak out uh, and and protect them. And I Mm -hmm. think even those people at this point are like, it's too much. Like it's it's ineffective because it's too much, and it's 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 just not working. Yeah, it's it's almost like a, a child when you you give them a new toy. You know, the the child loves it, plays with it for a while, then he puts it aside. You know, what's the next toy? And I think to some extent that was Trump. You know, he was a businessman. A lot of people didn't know a great deal about him, and they thought that hey, here's a businessman who has the business acumen to run the country. Maybe we give him a try. But, you know, at the same time, as revelations came out about the guy, I was surprised that people just accepted it. For example, there was the architect of one of his buildings. He was owed $5 million. Trump didn't pay him. Then Trump said, well, I'll give you half of it. So the guy said, okay, you know, I'll take half of it. Then he said, no, I'll give you 30% of it. And, you know, this was all made public. And then and then his abuse of language about women and how he, he considers women – and I'm surprised that people were willing to put that aside to, to elect them. They, you know, that's what troubled me. It's, it's very much like this George Santos in, uh, in Congress. You know, the guy is a habitual liar, admitted to lying about things. And people, you know, there are some that just say, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, you know let's accept him. He's in Congress. Well, no, you know, there, there's got to be some standard. And, and, you know, the way I was raised, Joan, I'm sure yourself and many of your listeners, there's a consequence to your yeah. actions. Mm-hmm. You know, do people screw up? Are people flawed? Of course they do. That's part of life. But there's a consequence. So so when you screw up and you do something wrong, you do something criminal or out of line, there's a consequence to that. And unfortunately, we've lost that in politics. Today, it's almost where you have to commit a crime in order to be elected. And, 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 and I, I found that astonishing because as I'm coming up politically, I was always taught by my mentors, you know, keep yourself clean, do the right thing. Make sure, you know, you work for people well, you know, your reputation means something. But today, it's kind of a lost thing. And uh, and that's what's troubling to me, because that's the real erosion of a government. That's the real, you know, seeds of corruption that, that, that you know, permeate throughout the system and eventually will, will create the problems that we've seen, people going to jail, committing crimes. And, and society has to be unaccepting and say, listen— you know, there's a consequence. You have to pay for that. There, there's a downside to your actions. And, and unfortunately, that has in some ways gone by the wayside. And, and what, what's taking place instead, which I find extremely troubling, for example, uh, Senator Feinstein, um, um, Diane Feinstein, yeah. or Feinstein, Feinstein, um, you know, her age and because she's ill, how people are attacking her. She's too old. She should, she should get out of office. She should retire, blah, blah, blah. You know, Age is not a sin. Age is something we all go through. Right. And I understand in a society today that it's it's greater to be young, it's greater to be, you know, uh, hip and adventurous and all. But as we get older, it's not a sin, and people should hold back a bit. Here's a woman who, who gave her life to public service, who did a lot of good things. Now, understandably, she's not feeling well, and, but she's also announced she's not running again. But her decision to whether or not to step out of Congress should be hers. And there shouldn't be this attack on her because she's sick and, and you know, and, and can't do her job. I, I find that terribly troubling. And because she's in a wheelchair. Well, you know, Franklin Roosevelt was in a wheelchair. He did Franklin pretty good. Franklin Roosevelt walked with crutches. <laughs> yeah. And, and he did damn good. And the people understood him and loved him because of what he did. So I just think we've got to slow down a bit and stop these personal attacks on people um, that have become, unfortunately, the political uh, way with all because – 
in the end, all we're doing, uh, Joe, is, is we're destroying ourselves. Politicians come from us. They're not on a separate island called Politica. They're, they come from us. They come from our communities, our neighborhoods. They are us. We may disagree with them. We may not, may not always support their policies, but they come from us. So when we attack them based on their age, when we attack them based on their health condition, we're attacking ourselves, too. We're attacking a system that, frankly, in a free society, does it have faults? Absolutely. But I still will argue it's the best system in this world is the American free system that we have. It, it's it's a treasured uh, commodity that people will go from other countries to come here yeah. to live in this country. So I think we've got to be appreciative and understand the blessings we have as people. You know, down the line with former Bridgeport State Rep Chris Caruso and Chris, I, I I'm, I'm guessing here. I assume you hey, know Joe, Mayor. Joe, Mayor. Be, before you ask your question, can I just say one thing? Oh, of course, real quick. Yeah, because it's a continuance of what we've talked about. Good people out in the community. I was reading, and I think it's worthy to speak of. There's a, a group of religious nuns called the Sisters of Charity of New York, and the Sisters of Charity are, you know, worldwide entity of, of religious women. But this this particular group in New York is closing. Um, it's been 200 years. It was started in 1817, and over the last 20 years, they've had no women enter the order, so they'll be closing. And oh. the reason I want to talk about that is the goodness of these people. You know, the average age now of most of those nuns are about 85. And they started before the Civil War, and they actually took care of, of patients from the Civil War, you know, soldiers that were wounded and hurt. They, they taught. They built hospitals. They did so many things for over 200 years. Wow. And that's an example of the good people that we should be talking about, that here are these women who are devoted Right now, the average age is about 85, so when the last sister dies, that, that particular part will close. And I, I just want to talk about that, because we often don't talk about those good people out there that uh, give service you know, to God, to others, and I just wanted to highlight that. I thought it was important. I'm glad you did, and I, I appreciate that, and yes, uh, a million percent. That is going to be sad uh, when, the, when the last one passes. Um, yep. Excellent work, and you're right. Uh, I hear people say that a lot, Chris. They're like, you know, the news, they should highlight some of the good stuff that happens. Yeah. And, and I definitely yeah. agree with that. So appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, in, in Bridgeport, there are yeah. roughly 3,000 Freedom of Information Act requests. I myself yeah. and my wife have been dealing with uh, a FOIA with the Wallingford Police Department uh, on and yeah. off for about three years Basically, yeah. what Ganem and his office is doing is they're going through these things. Now, they're supposed to respond within 30 days right. and retract things or, or, or give you a reason why you can't active investigation, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Basically, what they're doing Bridgeport is, is uh, if you don't get back to them within 30 days to follow up on your request, they're going to just close it out and toss it. Yeah, and I think the reason they're doing that because of the backlog. Yeah. That was created by, frankly, the city not adhering to the statutory requirement. You know, I I chaired the uh, Government Administration Elections Committee, and uh, FOIA, which is Freedom of Information Act, is actually one of the watchdog agencies. It it, it lines next to the um, Elections Enforcement Commission and the Ethics Commission, and it, it provides for you know, uh, sunshine in government, that information that as elected officials, you know, do their business, policymakers and so forth, that information is easily, uh, should be made easily accessible to every citizen who requests it. 
unfortunately, what's happened in Bridgeport is this backlog has has created, uh, been created, and it needs to be cleaned up. And I think what they're saying now is, okay, well, if you don't respond within 30 days, we're going to toss it. And I think what they're trying to do is find out, well, are those those folks who put the request in still interested? my opinion, the way the statute is read, they, they need to respond to every one of those backlog FOIA requests, plain and simple. It was their requirement from the beginning to address it when people, you know, asked for that information, and they didn't, and it's their request now to, to provide it. So I think what the city should do is contact those individuals and say, okay, you know, we, we got the information you need, and then that individual can say yes or no, uh, you know, I don't need it anymore, but I think it's still incumbent upon the city to do that. Now, I've had discussions with the city because I think the way this needs to be handled, and I, I, and I know they're, they're trying to improve it, but every department needs to have one individual who's responsible for addressing you know, FOIA requests. And then there should be one individual in the city that all of those departments report to to make sure the flow of information continues. Now, there is some information that under freedom of information is exempt. For example, uh, investigations that are taking place by the police department, because yep. some of that information, you can't put that out until the investigation is completed. So there should be some connection with the attorney, uh, city attorney's office to re- review those requests. But it, all that stuff should be done on a timely basis. And, it, you know, it, it isn't just Joe Gannam's administration. There were administrations before that. And and uh, the problem, again, is that when those requests aren't honored, the statute is not being respected, and it needs to be. And in a society of a rule of law, that's, that's what we live by, the rule of law, every statute needs to be honored. And in this particular case, those requests need to be, to be uh, honored by providing the information. There's, frankly, there's no excuse by any government that, yep. that doesn't uh, send this stuff out on a timely basis, none, you know. See, Ray, how easy is it to just say that my fellow Democrat should do the right thing here, right? That's what I love about you, Chris. You don't have any trouble recognizing right from wrong, and everybody else needs to get on the same page. I I often get in trouble for my comments, you know, people who disagree with me and and fellow politicians. But, you know, there's a right and wrong to everything. And I think we avoid a lot of the controversy when we just respond the way we're supposed to. You know, the statute says within a certain time period, you respond. Now, it says 30 days, and if there's something that makes it impossible to do that, then you respond to the person who is requesting and saying, hey, you know, we're working on it. We'll get it to you within a week or two, but it may be over the 30 days. At least least you're making the attempt to do it. And and it's not even Democrat-Republican. You know, the law is the law, and it, it has to be followed. You know, in a free society, Joe, as you know, if we don't follow the law, then, then what do we have? We have chaos. We have mm-hmm. bedlam. We, we have confusion. And, and the rule of law means nothing. So it, it's got to be honored. And in this particular case, the city's got to step up and do what's right and get it done. I, I know they are trying because I have talked to them about it. They've asked my advice, and I and I've told them what you know some suggestions what needed to be done, but but they need to to address this. And um, you know, if if you for example, if you put a request in, they should contact you or provide the information you requested, and then it's up to you to say I don't need it or I do need it, and go from there. Yeah. Chris, I appreciate your time, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm so glad to hear that you were going to be on today. That that was. Yeah. I always love talking to you. I appreciate the insight on uh, on Bridgeport in particular, and uh, yeah. 
We'll talk soon. Well, you know, and, Joe, I love talking with you. And, you know, with both you and Paul, I think you're both very fair. You know, you have your opinions and, and your thoughts and your political, uh, you know, uh, thoughts as, as how you feel. But you're fair about the discussion. And that's all anyone could ask for is a fairness. And I think you always give that. So I appreciate thank that. you for doing that. My yeah. pleasure. All right, Chris, we will talk soon. Chris Caruso, former Bridgeport State Rep.